Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Now we've been talking about the, the all-sufficiency of the cross, this core value that we're in. We have just a few core values left. That'll probably take us to the end of the year, I'm guessing. I forgot to do the math on that, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but we wanted to take a few more swings at the all-sufficiency of the cross. Because how many of you know the cross covered a whole lot of stuff? All right, how many of you are grateful that the cross covered a whole lot of stuff? You know, uh, just some food for thought. We may or may not, I don't think we'll touch on it probably. You know, uh, I was actually, I was thinking about this this last week and kind of going, man, it, it all really boils down to just a couple of basic things. Our whole life, it comes down to just a couple of basic things, right? Uh, our relationships with people. How, would, how many of you know, like, that's a big part of your life as a human being? So my relationship with other people, my financial resources, how many of you know that's a big part of my life? People were a little less inclined, I guess. That's a big part of my life. I get if there's something I don't know, help me out because, you know, I mean, I'll take passive income like the rest of you. You know, so it's like my relationship with other human beings, uh, the resources by which I keep the lights on, feed my babies and do all the stuff that I need to do. And my relationship with God, is it more complicated than that? My relationship with God, my relationship with people and the resources to be able to do all that really well. That's it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? How many of you know Jesus actually covered all of that on the cross? (laughs) See, from start to finish, we've been a little bit weak in here this morning. We may have to resort back to jumping jacks. Uh, It's it's really good news that Jesus addressed, like the biggest issues in our life are probably people and money, right? And Jesus already took care of it all. Like, is he not your provider, <laughs> right? And, and just by way of like homework as a great exercise, go look up the Hebrew word for peace called shalom. Go, go look it up in one of your Greek dictionaries and look at the lengthy description of what that word means to you because the chastisement of your shalom was upon him. What does that mean? That means that he took all of the punishment and all of the stuff that would restrict me from the release of the blessing of shalom over my life. He took it on the cross and released to me the blessing of what that word means. Well, what does that word mean? Literally well-being in every area of my life and it includes, like hardcore includes, relationships. We're not talking about relationships today. I just wanted to give you a little nugget. (laughs) Jesus has covered it. He shed his blood. We just took communion today. Psalms 103 says, forget not my benefits. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the all-sufficiency of the cross. We're talking about remembering what Jesus did for us on that cross. Maybe not even remembering, maybe just coming to a point of revelation for some of us. Because here's the deal. We'll never renew our minds unless we understand what was actually accomplished. Like We renew our minds by digging into the word, by the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of what Christ did for us on that cross. We renew our minds, we feed ourselves with that, and it brings transformation to our thinking. But how many of you know we'll never bring transformation? Our minds will never be renewed unless we know what the Word says, unless we know what the cross covered. Okay, and, and so we want to hit yet another topic this morning uh, po- called poverty. And, and I want to really start by just asking a few basic questions. Uh, one, does, does anybody in here like being poor? Well, I really thought I'd get one. <laughs> so, I mean, does anybody like, let's, we could put a few more terms behind it. Does anybody like living paycheck to paycheck? No. 
You know, does anybody like going, oh man, Christmas is coming up and I don't know that I have the money to do anything for my kids? Does anybody, you know, like not like, uh, well, let me say this. Uh, Do you really enjoy not knowing whether or not you could put gas in your car or not? You're you're waning. (laughs) They're they're fizzling out. You're probably getting depressed because I'm asking these questions. You're thinking, oh my goodness, right? You know, like that's the thing. We just think about poverty. It takes us 10 seconds and there's not very many of us who would embrace it as like, this is the ideal for my life. And yet there are doctrines in the Christian church that suggest that Jesus wants you to stay poor. Today we're going to break that a little bit. Uh, Just like when we talked about healing. Like I could talk for weeks. I could talk for weeks on this topic. This is just a one-off. Okay, so there will be things that I can't get to in the five seconds that I get to speak to you. Okay, about the talk. This is just to break the ice of how many of you know you've actually been redeemed from poverty? Like Jesus actually has addressed the issue. Let me ask a few more questions just because it's a lot of fun to be able to do, to, do so. Does, does anybody believe that you can actually do a better job expanding the kingdom of God if you're broke? Oh, you don't, that's okay. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, does anybody believe we can build churches and homeless shelters better if we're broke? Fascinating. You guys are on fire this morning. Everybody's getting a little more excited. Do we believe that we can do a better job rescuing women and children from sex trafficking? Kind of a big issue right now in, our, in, our, uh, uh, in America, if you didn't know that. Can we do a better job doing that if we're broke? No, no I, think we're, I think we're really leading up to something here. Is poverty a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah. You guys are great. I like when Bill Johnson says it. He's like, uh, God good, devil bad. Okay, so everybody just said, yeah, poverty sucks. That's bad. Okay, God good, devil bad. So then where does it come from? That's it. We can go home. We got it. <laughs> it, comes from the, it, comes from the, it comes literally from the pit of hell. It literally was introduced to the planet via the fall and via sin, right? And, and if it was introduced to the planet because of sin, how many of you know Jesus redeemed everything that sin touched? Everything that the original Adam screwed up when he touched it to include your bank account was included by the blood of Jesus. (laughs) The problem is that some people have taken this message and they've run off and said all kinds of wacky things about it. And so we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Listen, I'm not prepared. I don't care if they call me a prosperity preacher or whatever it is. I'm going to bring you the truth of the scriptures, period right? Like just because a few people have maybe uh, abused or mistaught a subject, it, it, it doesn't mean that we should literally just abandon the subject because there must not be any truth in there at all. And we want to hit just on that a little bit this morning. Are we going to do all right? We good? Think about this and that. <laughs> If God wanted us to remain poor, if poor was a supreme value in the kingdom of God, then, then why would God command us to do something about the issue of the poor? You think about that? Again, let me say it again, because like some of you, you're looking at me like Nathan was looking at me earlier this morning, like I'm crazy and have three heads. <laughs> If, if God wanted us to remain poor, why would, we, why would he ask us as the church to address the issue of the poor when addressing the issue of the poor would ultimately aim to resolve the problem? Yeah. 
right? So by, by pouring money and resources into the issue of impoverishment and homelessness, uh, the idea, God help us, would be that we actually make an impact and that people move from homelessness to self-sufficiency. Is that not the aim? that they would not be impoverished, that they would not continue to live in that state any longer, but that they would be able to live on their own two feet, managing their own households, working with their hands, and earning enough to be able to give away to others. Isn't that what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians? Right? So if, if poverty is supposed to be a supreme value in the kingdom, but then God's telling me I'm supposed to do something about it, wouldn't that put me at odds with God? Yes. Yes. How many of you know we've been commissioned by Christ to pray, your will be done yes. on earth as it is in heaven? You know, I, I don't know if you've ever studied into heaven or, or considered uh, what that place is going to be like or what it is like. Uh, but, you know, just in, in my meager studies, I've discovered that they ain't broke people there. I mean, with streets of gold and gates of pearl and blah, 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 right? It's like, I mean, if you're broke, just get yourself a little chisel, right? It's like, it, but, but think about it as it relates to the on earth as it is in heaven. If God has commissioned us, hey, pray like this. I want you to pray that my will is done here in this place as it is in this domain. And there's no lock in that domain. So wouldn't it just, wouldn't it presuppose that it's God's will that there's no lack in this domain? Well, we pray, we pray His will be done in every area, but money, we don't touch that. No, Jesus covered it all. And if Jesus has called the church, that's you, by the way, to do something about the issue of the poor, doesn't that also presuppose that I would have means by which to address the issue? I'm just trying to get you to think this morning. Right? And hopefully just your basic logical thinking will break off the religious spirit that wants to keep you poor. Amen? Amen. Listen to this. This has always struck me as, as unusual. This is Matthew chapter 11 and verse 5. You know, the, John the Baptist uh, has a weird... Uh, experience. He's tossed in jail after he's declared that Jesus is the Messiah. He's now having this, this moment of doubt. Uh, by the way, even the greatest among us have moments of doubt. Even the greatest among us have moments where they're influenced by the demonic, as I think probably was the case in this situation. And he's asking them, you know, can you just, can you go fishing? Can you go talk to Jesus? Like, I just, I just, I'm like, am I about to get my head lopped off? I just want to make sure that we're good here. This is what they say to him. Jesus says this, he says, go back and tell John that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, first of all, I want to submit to you, it's interesting that Jesus said that the proof of his divinity was that he's healing the sick and preaching the gospel to the poor. (laughs) The proof that you are who you say you are is that you're deeply concerned with my physical body and you've done something about it. And, well, what about that whole poor thing? Why would Jesus go preach the gospel to the poor? Isn't that an unusual proof of the Messiah, of his divinity? Like, what? like, like doesn't the Bible say that God wishes that none should perish? So what wouldn't he say, like, the proof of my divinity is I'm preaching the gospel to all creation? I'm preaching the gospel to the poor. Why in the world did he say that? Is he saying that at the exclusion of the rich? 
No, he wishes that none should perish. Why in the world? By the way, the word gospel means good news. So he's preaching the good news to the poor. Well, if you're poor, what's good news? Is it, is it possible that part of the good news wrapped up in this gospel that he's preaching is that they don't have to stay that way anymore? Just a thought. It's just a thought. Are we doing all right? Let me throw this one at you. Uh, There's going to be some good conversations at home tonight around the dinner table. I can see that right now. Now, Last I checked, God was the God of wisdom. Am I right? And if if I recall, he said, if I needed wisdom, I just need only ask. Isn't that right? If I have faith, he's going to release it liberally over me. How many of you need wisdom? Yeah, we need wisdom. So what happens if you reach out to God for wisdom in respect to your relationships? Uh, Do you think that your relationships will improve or they will decline? They will improve. Three or four of you really got this doing good. (laughs) What would happen if I reached out to God for wisdom, you know, in regard to my personal health journey? Do you think that my health would improve or decline? I mean, obviously, we've got to apply it, right? So, so same logic, if I then reach out to God for wisdom in regard to my personal finances, do you think that my finances would improve or decline? They would improve. And so if, if God is the source of wisdom and, and God has invited me to ask him and that he would generously pour it out on me for anything where I'm lacking it, and the application of wisdom causes me actually to advance in every area that I apply it. Specifically, this morning, we're talking about the application of his wisdom in regard to finances. And, and the application of that in my finances causes growth, not decline. Causes me to actually advance, not retreat. Again, doesn't it only make sense to say, God doesn't want you poor. So there's not as much of an amen on that when you're still not convinced after all that. <laughs> it's all right. We'll keep going. <laughs> Jesus is preparing to go, or rather, excuse me, I'll get it right. I was saying he's going to prepare to go to the cross. Yes, Lord, thank you for that. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> They were preparing the Israelites to cross into the promised land. And, and they, they were being coached in respect. To, I mean, God was speaking to them in respect to prosperity. And like, you're going to go into this promised land and you're going you're gonna to do well there. It's the land of the blessed. This is where my blessing will be upon you. And he's admonishing them. He's coaching them in the midst of that where it's like, when you begin to experience this, don't forget that it was me, right? Like, I, like it was, I brought you here. I did this. So God's actually blaming him blaming himself for the prosperity he was about to release on his people. It says this, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to make wealth. Now, I'm not going to go into great depth this morning and try to to show you how the Old Testament covenant relates to the New Testament covenant and and to get into all of that theology. I just simply don't have enough time to make it make sense to you. Suffice it to say, this wasn't retracted. (laughs) Are we all right? Like God is the one who releases power to his people, or we could even just say wisdom for his people to gain wealth. So there it is in Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, 
18. Uh, Whether you believe that we benefit at all from the old covenant, you would at least have to concede of what I've already stated, that he's the God of wisdom. And when I ask for wisdom, what's wisdom then? Like in, in the application of my finances, would it not be power? So I'm asking God, I'm consulting with him. He's releasing wisdom from heaven over my finances. My finances grow. I do better. I stay out of poverty. I'm self-sufficient. I mean, Corinthians says that I'm, that I'm working in such a way as I'm providing for the needs of my own family, and I have enough to give away and address the needs that are around me in my community. I mean, how many would like to live the life like that? Right, and so, so if I'm uh, taking the, if I'm imploring God and saying, God, I, I need wisdom over my finances. I want to be a good steward. By the way, you're called to be a good steward of that which is His finances are His. It's a whole, a whole nother conversation. You know, but if I'm applying the wisdom and, and, and it actually gets better, like is that not literally the fulfillment of this verse in Deuteronomy chapter eight, that God is the one who gives power for His people to gain wealth? Ooh, we got a whole new crowd. <laughs> I think I gotta, I gotta start back from the beginning on some of this stuff. Take it for granted that everybody knows what I'm talking about. Brandy's with me. She's got it. James chapter one verse five. This is where it says, "If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him." Thank you, Jesus. Let me say this to start with. Well, let me circle back to this. One of the things that we've been trying to hammer in this series is this. The benefits of the cross are not automatic. And far too often, you know, we hear, we hear you know, a message like this and you're like, praise God and hallelujah. God's done, he's my provider. He's done something about this issue. You know, and I am sick and tired of being sick and tired you know, uh, but then you don't do anything. And, and, and Pastor Todd called it an RSVP. You know, it's like there's an invitation that's been extended to you, but you have to RSVP. So there's a response that you have, and that's what we've been trying to hammer home on this. You can't just sit back on the couch doing the same old, same old thing and somehow expecting to get a different result. And so when it comes to the promises of God as it relates to your financial resources, like how many of you know, one, just in general, you have to do something with the knowledge that you're excavating in Scripture. You have to do something with it. You have to, number one, begin to renew your mind. What does the Bible even say about finances? What does it say about money? What does it say about debt? I have to know what the Word of God says and then begin to feed on it such that my mind is renewed and I begin to think like He thinks. Especially, again, especially in regard to what I do with my money and being generous like my father and how, I, how I'm a good steward. I have to renew my mind. I have to feast off of his word to even get to a starting point. But then once I get to a starting point, how many of you know I then have to apply the information that I've been given? And, and, and then sometimes we find ourselves, we go, oh, yes, I, I'm believing God for this. I, I believe that he's my, my provider. I, I, I believe that he doesn't want me to remain paycheck to paycheck. And he's done something about this. And he's released wisdom to me. Like, I believe all of that. And I understand the wisdom, or at least a part of it. I, I've, I've got enough to be able to advance. But something keeps standing against me. 
It feels like every time I take a step forward, there's this wall, this barrier, and I hit my face against it, and I'm like, ah! And oftentimes we're tempted to doubt the Word of God in those moments. Now we're talking about the soul realm. We're talking about our responsibility is to renew our minds by understanding the will of God on the subject to then apply it. But if we're actually feel like we're being prohibited in the application of it, it's like, I keep tripping over the same stuff. Then probably you've got a soul issue. There's an entanglement on the inside that's causing you to continue to fall in the exact same hole. And so we not only have to renew our minds, but we have to cleanse our souls if we want to be able to properly apply what the Word of God says, especially as it relates to our finances. Let me give you an example. Maybe, maybe I, I mean, how many of you know that you actually are supposed to live within your means? <laughs> like, so you're afraid, you're scared to death to raise your hands. Like, we, we really legitimately, we're called to live within our means. What does that mean? It means that I don't spend more than I'm bringing in. Okay, and in the kingdom, listen to this, in the kingdom, it means I not only don't spend more than I'm bringing in, I spend enough less that I can actually give it away to others. That's actual good kingdom stewardship. So it's not like I, I'm just, I'm like spending every penny and it's down to the wire every single, that's not kingdom. That's not what the Bible says about it, right? Uh, but so all of us, we, we know at least at bare minimum, we're, we're, we're really supposed to live within our means. We're not supposed to spend more than what we actually are receiving uh, in an income. And, and yet, like huge percentages of us probably in here are wildly in debt, spending money on the credit card all over again. So you, you know the wisdom the power of God has been released to you to gain wealth. The wisdom of God is at hand. Right? You know that you're supposed to live within your means, but you're not. Well, what do you get when you don't apply the principles? Poverty. You get poverty. But I thought God promised. I thought he did something about this. I thought he was Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He did do something about it. The truth is you could win the lottery tomorrow and by the end of five years, you'll be bankrupt. You're like, why didn't God take care of me? Like, Bro, you won the lottery. You're just not a terrible steward. Like you're not applying the wisdom that you were given. You know you're supposed to live within your means, but you continue to spend more than your paycheck. What do you get when you spend more than your paycheck? Poverty. <laughs> that has nothing to do with God. God's already settled the issue on his side. Right? And so not only has he settled the issue on the cross, he's also making himself readily available to us in the realm of finances. He says, come to me, just ask me and see if I won't literally pour out with generosity this wisdom that you seek over the realm of your finances. And again, if you find yourself blocked and tripping over and over and over again into the same thing, even though you've already, in a sense, renewed your mind in the sense in which you've at least gone after the knowledge you know, then it's sozo time. It's, it's God, am I believing lies? Is there, is there something? Like, where, why am I tripping? Holy Spirit, speak to me. Why am I tripping over the same thing over and over again? Why do I continue to find myself in the exact same scenarios over and over again? Why can't I seem to get ahead and allow the Holy Spirit to speak with you and pull the barbs out of your heart, pull the past history and the entanglements of sin and bad thinking out of your heart? Here's what I've learned about finances. Jesus isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. 
And see, sometimes this is the other thing that we think. We're like, well, and we think about this everywhere. A lot of times we kind of do this whole like, well, if, if, Jesus, if Jesus wants me to talk to my waitress, then he'll just speak to me. Like, Holy Spirit will overpower me. The heavens will open up over Cancun Mexican restaurant, which at least 30% of us are going through this afternoon. You know, <laughs> you know? And like an angel will write on the wall what I'm supposed to say. Like, how many of you know, it's like, that's a pretty rare situation. Most of the time, God's like waiting patiently, twiddling his thumbs, just waiting for you to ask. He's waiting for you to engage him. We we expect sometimes in the kingdom, especially in charismatic circles, we we expect this grandiose thing to happen. Then God's kind of going, no, I'm expecting you to happen. Like, like you, you've got to, like, you've got to, do something with what you've been given. If you believe that I want to speak to you and I want to speak through you to others, then you have to position yourself to hear me so that I can do so. And finances are no different. Sometimes we kind of go, all right, yeah, I got a hold of this whole thing. God doesn't want me poor. And so we sit back waiting for the miracle to happen. You know, and all the while, again, not applying the wisdom that is readily available to us. And then ultimately we get to this place where we swirl in the cycle and we're frustrated and we're not believing God and we're not trusting God and his character and our minds gets tainted. You know, the Bible calls money the least of things. It calls it the least of things. If he can't trust you with the least of things, like how can he trust you with greater things? So trusting in money and financial resources all of a sudden becomes kind of a big deal, doesn't it? being a good steward with the resources that are actually already his anyways, all of a sudden kind of becomes a big deal, doesn't it? Sometimes with the issue of the poor and homeless, we, we simply believe that it's an issue of, of resources, of a lack of resources. I mean, anybody ever thought about that? Well, if we just had enough money to give away, it would solve the problem, wouldn't it? Here's the problem with that. Uh, the impoverishment, poverty, and homelessness has, has very little to do with financial resources. In fact, in fact I, I would wager that there's an abundance of financial resources available in the world to, to address the issue. And we've spent billions of dollars attempting to address the issue, but it's not an issue of a lack of resources. It's an issue of the renewal of the mind. It's an issue of the way that we think. Poverty is what poverty do. <laughs> you know, think about the parable of the talents just for a second. Maybe I'll ask you to think about it in a different way. Do you remember? You know, there were these three different stewards. The master goes away on a journey and he releases his resources to the three different stewards to steward in his absence. You know, to one he gave, just to make sure you're alive, to one he gave, and, and then the other poor sap, he only got one. Right? And, and you get to the very end and he rebukes the guy with the one. Do you remember that? How many of you know this story, like the problem with the guy that had one talent, like it wasn't a problem with the lack of resources. You're like, yeah, well, this, he was expected to steward like one and the other guy got five. You understand that a talent of gold, like actually a talent of silver right now in today's money is like a half million dollars. You know, when, when I looked it up in today's money, a talent of gold was like $1.6 million dollars. So how many of you know all of a sudden the, the issue isn't resources? 
the issue with the, the, with the guy that, that, that ultimately didn't steward the one talent, the guy that didn't steward the half million dollars that was entrusted to him, it wasn't an issue of resources. It was an issue of his poverty mentality manifested in fear such that he froze, buried all of his stuff in the backyard while his peers continued to advance. It was a poverty mentality. It wasn't a lack of resources. And I think we've got to get a hold of that when it comes to this issue. We have to renew our minds. Like you could win the lottery and squander it tomorrow. I think Pastor Misty was talking to me the other day about Michael Jordan, who just absolutely blew through the first million dollars that he, that he ever got through playing basketball. Just blew it all. And after his first million went away, he goes, uh, I need to renew my mind. And obviously... You know, here we are all these years later and our kids are still wearing his shoes. How many of you know he did something? You know, how many of you know his poverty wasn't a lack of resources? It was a bad way of thinking. Okay, today all we're talking about is the sense in which Jesus has already dealt with this. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. We'll draw this thing to a close at some point in our lifetime. It says here, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So what did Jesus do on the cross? He, he redeemed us from the curse. Well, what in the world is that? Glad you asked. Glad you asked. So, just so it turns out, I actually prepared a response to that. It's playing right into my hands here. <laughs> you know, if you think of the law like this, you know, the law in the Old Testament was kind of a prescription for success before God. It was the, the parameters that he set out were parameters that he set out in love, saying, look, I want you to be blessed. I want you to experience me, and I want you to do well in life. And if you do this, you will. Uh, but if you don't, if you break my law, if you screw up in, in some form or some fashion, you know, uh, then there will be trouble. And the book of Deuteronomy enumerates what that trouble is, and it labels it the curse of the law. What did Jesus do on the cross? He redeemed us from, from the curse. How many of you know that part and parcel with that curse was poverty? Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Like, Just go through, read Deuteronomy 28. Half of the stuff that's there is the equivalent to, and you're going to be in poverty. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Let's just take a quick look at this, and I'll go through this quickly, and we'll put a bow on this thing. Verse 28, 15, here's what it says as we get started. Uh, but it shall come about that if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all of his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Here's the first one I think that relates to finances. Verse 17, a couple verses down. Cursed shall you be in your basket and in your kneading pole. Quickly, it's talking about your present and your future provision. So what did Jesus redeem us from again? We could just as well sum it up by saying this. According to this verse, a lack of present provision and a lack of future provision. How many of you are pretty happy about what Jesus did now all of a sudden? Right? Let's continue. Verse 18, next verse. Cursed shall you be in your, the offspring of your body. By the way, if you're struggling with that, you now have a promise. And our prayer ministry team would be happy to pray for you. Cursed shall you be in the offspring of your body and in the produce of your ground. 
and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. I would, I would guess that still in certain circles, even in America till today, the number of head of cattle you have is indicative of the amount of wealth that you've got. You think that's a fair assessment? It used to be, I can say that safely, you know, people would ask, how many head do you have? And it's telling exactly how much money you've got, right? Uh, and so when we talk about the number of herds, do you remember how it would describe Abraham? Like Abraham was uber wealthy, like stupid money, and he had 80 billion horses and cattle and 47 million sheep, and, right? It's talking, like his wealth was amassed agriculturally, and that's again what we're seeing here. And I think even the reference to children is the sense in which that we have people to help us steward all that God's releasing. Okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> Felt good to me. Verse 29, last part. And you will not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. Now, are you starting to get the impression here that it's like you just can't seem to ever get ahead? I mean, has anybody ever felt like that in your lifetime? You're just like, holy smokes, it feels like, like I can't, I just can't win. I can't get ahead. How many of you know that's a curse? How many of you know, more importantly, you've been redeemed from this curse? Verse 38, you, you shall bring out much seed to the field and you will gather in little for locusts will come and consume it. First Corinthians actually likens our seed unto money or our money unto seed talking about sowing financial resources. If we use that line of, of, of logic here, it's kind of talking about bad investments. It's like, I will, I will sow financial resources, but the investments are going to be garbage, and thus they'll produce no return for me, even though I'm working to try to make something happen, right? And sometimes in the impoverished world, people are bad investments. And what I mean by that is, if I'm poor, oftentimes you'll see other poor people in your sphere of influence who will come, and they will place a demand on you. It's not like you have any money. Yeah, but they'll place a demand on you, and now the poor is trying to rescue the poor. But that person's a bad investment, so they squander what you gave to them, and now you're both just poor. <laughs> we all right? The poor will suck off the poor and claw and scratch, but because it's not a good investment, they'll just squander it, and everybody's poor. Right? There's another sense here that is the sense in which it's like, I'm working, 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 working. It's all I do is work. Maybe I've got two and three jobs and I just can't seem to keep food on the table and the lights on. Like I'm, I'm working. So I've got an abundance of, if you will, seed that I'm sowing. Like, like I'm, I'm working, I'm in the fields, I'm doing everything that I know to do. And yet it's all being devoured. All of my efforts are literally being devoured. That doesn't seem like there's any fruits for my effort. We still continue to fall short. The stupid car continues to break down the, you know, whatever it is, but something is happening at all times in my life. And it's literally devouring what would have otherwise been the fruit of my labors. Anybody ever felt like that? Amen. Let me remind you, it's the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen. If you feel like your seed's been robbed, it's the enemy doing it, not God. Right? Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is this impoverishment that begets impoverishment that it seems like I can't ever break the cycle. How many of you know Jesus, if you are in that cycle this morning, Jesus broke your cycle. 
He broke your cycle. But you have to do something with what's been granted to you. You have to renew your mind. You have to cleanse your soul. And you have to get off the couch. What I've learned over the years is that this is, that the, the, really this is, all of the kingdom is like this. Like, I just don't see much that happens in the kingdom that's like, bam, wow, look at that. Like, that's amazing and miraculous that it just happened overnight. What I find in the kingdom is that God honors good stewardship, that God honors the faithful. And as I take one step towards him, he takes three towards me because he's way more generous than I am. But he rewards my faithfulness, and I, I get a hold of this scripture, and I begin to renew my mind, and I go, you know what, I don't, I don't believe this is the heart of God that I'm supposed to be like this. This is painful all the time. People are taking from me. I feel like I can't break out of this cycle, and I'm reading in this scripture. It seems like God's already done something about it. You know, all right, so we're beginning to, to feast on the right things now. Right, And now we begin to actually uh, to, to, to put feet to it. And I kind of go, all right, I got to get out of debt, for example. I've gotta, like, I can't continue to live beyond, which means I really now have to live considerably under. I've got to say no to an awful lot of stuff if I'm going to dig myself out of the hole that I've dug. I spent a whole bunch of years in swipe the card mode. Now I get to spend a whole lot of years in rice and beans mode until I can climb back out. But here's the deal. As I begin to get a hold of God and his truths for finances and resources and good stewardship, and I take that step, he meets me with my step. And it's the faithfulness over the long haul partnered with what he finished for us and what he released to us on that cross. My faithfulness over the long haul where some point I wake up and, and, and I go, oh my gosh, I never thought I would get here, but I just realized we just arrived. Amen. I remember when Misty and I were headed for the mission field. You know, we were just beginning to get a hold of these concepts. And we really believed that God was calling us to get out of debt because, hey, guess what? We were really dumb. You know, I had bad business debt. I had debt on a couple of cars. We had a dog and a cat. No debt there, but they were stealing our money. You know, I had a house that I couldn't afford. You know what I mean? And we had swiped the card on a few grocery bills, which, by the way, you just eat it and have nothing to show for it. But fat, that's not a good return, right? You know? And, but we felt like the Lord called us to get out of debt. And so I set up a plan. I said, okay, uh, here's the plan. We make exactly this much money. And all of a sudden, I'm implementing a budget. And this is what we make, and I, I, I can make some bonuses. They tell me that at, at, my, you know, at my tenure that I can't expect any bonuses, but I'm going to make this by faith. I'm going to step out and make a budget by faith, expecting that as I'm faithful to begin to operate in a different way, that God's going to meet me. And how many of you know, God not only met me, He exceeded my expectations. And six months prior to the faith budget that I had set, I woke up one day looking at our finances. I said, Misty, you won't believe this. But six months prior to what was already miraculous, God just literally paid our last bill. We are debt-free. Six months earlier than what we could have ever done on our own. How many of you know that God is faithful to meet us, and it's one step at a time? And it doesn't mean that there's not like a setback somewhere in the middle, but we renew our mind by feasting on the God who wants to provide for us. We, on, the, on the God who cares for us more than we care for ourselves. And we begin to say no to ourselves and to implement the wisdom that he's gotten. And to be honest, if you're dealing with issues of the soul that continue to cause you to trip up into the same hole financially over and over again, or you're dealing with ignorance on the subject where you're like, honestly, my parents never taught me. I don't know what to do with money. and I haven't stewarded it very well. How many of you know we actually have two destiny groups that address these issues? We have one called the Freedom Group that addresses the issues of the soul. It'll start again this next year. 
I think I just bounced. The pillows aren't even here. Yes. Now they have to do it. I said it. It's public. It's done. Now, I think they're going to do that again this next year. And we have the, the Dorees doing a, steward, a, a kingdom stewardship group, which actually partners with Dave Ramsey's financial program to give you the nuts and bolts for what you need to be able to move yourself from poverty into a place of not just self-sufficiency, but a place where you can begin to be generous like your father. Right? We have things here that will help you. And we have people here who will even help speak wisdom in life. So the resources are here. The abundance of God's wisdom is actually here. We've made that available for you. He has made that available for you here. I would encourage you to get a hold of it. Because listen, like there's, you, know, you know finances are one of the number, still till today, one of the number one issues that cause divorce. You know, like, like, and Jesus has done something about it. Boy, it's high time the church get a hold of some of the principles that are actually found in the Bible, right? Jesus has redeemed us from this curse and our consistency in the place of finances. And we can go, I could spend weeks going into what that looks like and our, our own giving and our own generosity and tithing and is that for today or not? And, you know, what does it look like to live within our means and how do we save for our future? And, you know, and, and how do we, what do we, what do we learn from observing the ants and looking to our future and storing up for, you know what I'm saying? Like I could go on for weeks and I want to, but I'm not. But I do have some good resources for you, I think. They should be available uh, on podcasts. So if you go look up biblical finances, if you don't find it, let me know. And there's a lot of great material on that. We good? Jesus doesn't want you poor. Why? Because if you don't have any money, then you can't address any need that's in front of you. I mean, 1 Corinthians talks to us. He says that he'll give seed to the sower. He's talking about money. You know, and that as you sow, he'll give you more so that you can continue to sow more. And that you'll have both bread for your table and the ability to address the needs that are in front of you. I don't know about you, but I want the ability to address every need that the Holy Spirit puts on my heart. I don't, I don't want to stand before issues you know, and kind of go, Lord, I just don't know if I can, I just don't think I can help with that need. I'm so moved to help with that need, but we don't have anything because we're struggling to pay our light bill. You know, I, I don't know anybody that I've ever interviewed who says, oh, yeah, right, this is life in abundance. Like, I'm praying to God that he puts food on the table and takes care of my light bill. Like, this, this is life in abundance. But how many of you know that not only was it the devil that came to steal, kill, and destroy, that it was Jesus who said he came that you may have life and life more abundantly. Poverty is inconsistent with his own declaration. And, and, and money is not the only thing in the abundant life, but can I just submit to you that it's not excluded either? We all right? I think Jesus wants to do abundantly beyond what you can ask or think when it comes to your money. Let me give you a quick thing that can change your life, and we'll, we'll just this will be it. I promise. We live within our means, well within our means, which means we sacrifice and we say no to a lot of stuff that we'd really like to have. Okay, we live within our means, well within our means. We, we give generously from the excess, and we invest with the excess. We invest unto our future. So we're investing in the kingdom of God, and we're investing in our future. If you live within your means, well within your means, you give generously, and you invest out of your surplus, you will prosper in this earth. I guarantee you. 
Take that home and chew on it for a little bit. It'll save your life. (laughs) Father, we ask for greater wisdom on this subject. And I pray that you would help us, that we wouldn't shy away from something that's controversial and just go baby out with the bathwater kind of stuff and just reject all of this. you're, You're the God who abundantly supplies. You want to do amazing things through these people in this congregation. You want to raise up people in this house who are so abundantly supplied that they can strike a check for the Journey Home Ministry outlet and provide housing for homeless you know, people who can you know, write checks and, and fund all of Nathan Griffith's entire uh, annual budget just because, yeah, that's no big deal. I'm just, I feel the Holy Spirit moving me. There it is. There's a check. Boom, done. I believe you want to do that to people in here. But Jesus, we need to have our minds renewed. And so we're asking, we're inviting you to come and we break off lies in our brain that say that somehow poverty is some sort of a virtue in the kingdom. We break off lies that we've been believing that this is a cycle that we can't break and we say, Jesus, you've already broken it. We break off lies that we've been believing that says that, I'm not smart with money. I don't know how to do this stuff. And I declare over you, you have the mind of Christ and abundance of wisdom at your disposal and resources literally at hand to prosper in these areas. I declare that over you this morning. And we get, but Jesus, we admit this morning that the meager resources that we have, they're yours anyway because we've been bought with a price. And so I'm asking that you would give us the paradigm of stewardship, which literally starts with the renewing of our minds and the action and getting our houses in order and to position ourselves to be able to partner for, with you for great things. We ask that you would do it in us, God, that you would use us for great things, that you would make us a generous people that you would make us a a people that are good stewards, that you would move upon our houses, that we would be the righteous who leave an inheritance to our kids, kids, kids. Would you do that for us? Would you do that for this congregation this morning? In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.